So good morning. We'll be in the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. The ushers can bring you one. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. You can use the table of contents and find the page number. So I'll give you some time to, to turn there. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. It reads this way. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you, joy and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Gracious God, Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is able, Lord, to save, that it is able to help us to persevere in whatever trials that we might find ourselves in today. God, we pray that your spirit would be with us as we try to understand your word this morning. May your spirit be with me as I try to communicate truth to your people clearly and give us ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning from the theme of don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. The last few weeks in Sunday school, we've been learning about biblical theology. And biblical theology is a way to read the Bible as one story by one author from Genesis to Revelation. And that one story is God's redemption, is the story of God's redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ, all for his glory. Right? And that, that, that story is that, is that one story with Christ being the center of that story from Genesis to Revelation. So real quick, we're going to jump to the end of that story. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. You'll understand why I'm telling you to turn there. That's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It reads this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So you're probably thinking, what does this passage have to do with my sermon of this morning? Well, I think it frames my sermon this morning perfectly. I think it will give us a, a better understanding of what I'm going to be preaching from the book of Hebrews. So you can turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. So I read this passage because this passage in Revelation, it reminds us that one day all suffering will come to an end. One day Christ will return. And as Revelation 21 tells us, the old order of things will have passed away. But on May 19th, 2019, which is today, we know that suffering is present in this world. By a show of hands, and don't be shy, how many of us are currently suffering? It could be physical, could be emotional, could be spiritual. All right, that's it. That's, everybody's okay, huh? <laughs> so, let me let you in on a little secret. If you live long enough in this world, you will suffer you will experience pain that comes from living in this broken and fallen world. You will feel the effects of aging. You will get sick. You will feel pain by losing a loved one, right? And that, that is a terrible pain. Or how about the constant fight against sin? Disappointment that ravages your soul. Anxiety, stress, worry. Add to it all the effects of war, racism, unemployment, poverty, corrupt governments, persecution. And let's be honest, the idea of suffering is enough to break anyone's faith. As we look at this letter written to the Hebrews, we're not told who authored this letter, but we do know something about the audience. The author of Hebrews was writing to Jews or, or Hebrews that converted to Christianity. This congregation of believers, they left Judaism, which was the religion of the Jews, and they placed their faith in Christ, becoming Christians. Now, you can imagine their fellow Jews and the world around them, they weren't happy about their decision to follow the Messiah. They were not received well by their peers. Just a quick thought on that. Following Christ will never be the popular thing to do in this world. Following Christ will never be the thing that is going to win you people's approval that don't know Christ. It's obvious when this letter was written, these Hebrews were in the midst of trials. They were under intense persecution of some form. From these circumstances, their faith began to waver. Their, they, 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 their souls were weakened. They had become faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, suffering is a challenge to faith. Suffering is a challenge to believe in the goodness and the promises of God. But you see, suffering is not what God, suffering is not only what God uses to make us like Christ, but he uses suffering to separate those 
who truly belong to him from those who merely profess that they belong to him. Trials are a test to genuine faith. That's why if you notice, if you ever read the book of Hebrews, you notice all of these warnings about the, against the dangers of falling away from Christ, or what is known as apostasy. In regards to the sin of apostasy, John MacArthur states this. He says, apostates are those who move toward Christ, hear and understand his gospel, and on the verge of saving belief, then they rebel and turn away. So let's look at some of these warnings. We're going to look at a couple of warnings that we see throughout the book of Hebrews. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a salvation, such a great salvation? Looking at chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then look at chapter 6, verses, one through, verses 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to, to contempt. And then look at chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under, underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friends, this is a terrible place to be. Our hearts should break for those who have tasted the goodness of God and yet have fallen away. And then fallen away, they have trampled under the foot the Son of God. They have profaned the blood of the covenant. They have insulted the Holy Spirit. Their punishment will be even more severe than that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when, they, when the Jews set aside the law of Moses, they received an earthly punishment. But what you're going to think happens to the ones, to the one who set aside the work of Christ on the cross. They will receive an eternal punishment in hell. I think a prime example of an apostate is Judas Iscariot. We know that Judas, he was one of the twelve. He followed Christ here on earth. He sat under the same teaching as the other disciples. He had the same access to Christ as the other disciples. Yet, he fell away. He was an apostate. Now, these Hebrew Christians, because of persecution, they were tempted to deny Christ, to return back to Judaism. 
But in doing so, they would have rejected the only sacrifice that could cleanse them of their sins. Remember, under the old sacrificial system, the sacrifices that were offered for sin could never perfect those who drew near to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, they teach us that those sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant were but a shadow of the good things to come. In those sacrifices were a reminder of sin every time the worshiper brought those sacrifices. Those sacrifices were pointing forward to a greater sacrifice. We know that that sacrifice was Jesus Christ when he came and sacrificed his body on the cross. As we look at verses 5 through 12 of chapter 10, we see the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. In verse 12, it says this, But he, meaning Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. The reason Christ, our great high priest, the reason he sits down is because his work is done. There's nothing else to be added to his sacrifice. Look at verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stood daily offering the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. They had to keep standing. Christ went to the cross one time, and it says that he sits down. That one time was enough to take away sin. So you see, by turning back to Judaism, these Hebrews, they would have neglected so great a salvation. And those who turn their backs on Christ, they have no hope in this world. All that remains is, as verse 27 tells us, it's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And verse 31 says again, it says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As we sit back and kind of digest all of this, we should be able to relate to the struggle that these Hebrews were in, to this suffering that they were endured, that they had to endure when this letter was written. We will find ourselves in situations by the sovereign hand of God where we're left vulnerable to experience pain, temptation, affliction, trials of various kinds to test our faith. And it is under these pressure-filled circumstances, these situations where it feels like remaining faithful to God is the hardest thing to do. It would be so much easier to deny Christ and to give in to a particular sin. We are not as strong as we would like to think. I think most times we have too high a view of ourselves. At the first sign of trouble, when these trials come upon us, we're so prone to drift away from Christ. We're so prone to leave the God that we love. Let me be honest for a second. You know, being, being in church for a while now, and I often hear this language thrown around that, um, that says that, you know, hey, this brother is a, is a strong man of God, or this sister is a, is a strong woman of God. Let me be honest this morning. There's no such thing. <laughs> I'm going to just be honest. There's no such thing, right? We, when suffering comes, our strength will fail us. Our human strength will fail us. When trials come, we will fold under pressure. 
The reason why we're not consumed by the trials that come our way is because our faith is in the God who is strong. We get our strength from him, right? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness, not ours, right? We lose faith just like that. But this morning, God is calling us to persevere this morning, and that's the main point of my sermon, perseverance. I ask you, brothers and sisters, what trial are you facing that is tempting you to deny Christ? What pressures are you facing that could potentially cause you to fall away? May it not be said of anyone in this room that we were like the soil in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, where it says, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. May that not be said about anyone in this room. In this moment, everyone in this room should take heed to these warnings against the dangers of falling away from Christ. These warnings recorded in Scripture are there for a reason. They keep us from becoming complacent in our walk with Christ. Let's examine our hearts and ask ourselves this question. Just how do we persevere in the midst of suffering? How do we persevere? In the midst of suffering, I see a few ways in our text that will help us to persevere during hard times. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, we persevere by looking back. We persevere by looking back. And I'm a big sports fan. In professional sports, you know, when teams kind of reach the mountaintop and, and they go on to win the championship, all those teams encounter some type of adversity along the way. Whether it's losing a player to injury, maybe locker room dysfunction, or maybe a stretch of games where they're just not playing well. They all encounter some form of adversity, which I think is instrumental in helping them to go on to win the championship. I think teams are made better when they experience some type of hardship during the season. So when the, the pressure of the playoffs come around, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, when that intense pressure of playoffs come around, those teams who had the adversity early on, they tend to adapt well right, to, to the pressures of the playoffs. And I think they are, able, they, they are able to adapt to that pressure because they look back at what they already endured. They look back at the adversity that they experienced and they use that to propel them forward on their journey to ultimately go on to, to win the championship. I think it's the same in the Christian life. Look what the author of Hebrews says to the congregation. He encourages them to persevere in their faith despite their current suffering. How does he do this? He does this by telling these believers to look back at what they already suffered. Look at verse 32. It says, but recall, meaning remember, the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now, just what did they suffer? Well, verses 33 and 34 tell us that they were publicly exposed to reproach, to affliction. Their property was stolen. This congregation of believers, they were not ashamed to make their faith public, and they were insulted and mistreated when they did. By identifying with Christ, they were shamed by society. 
They even went as far as identifying with other Christians who were thrown in prison because of their faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, identifying with Christ in this broken and fallen world will leave us open to reproach, persecution, mistreatment, alienation from the world. We follow a rejected king. And as followers of Christ, we need to be prepared to to endure the same kind of persecution that these Christians face. In the book of Hebrews, we need to be prepared to suffer. Don't buy into this teaching that following Christ is so easy that you'll gain prosperity, that you won't get sick. All of this stuff that these false teachers will have you to believe, following Christ is the role that is marked by suffering. This is the road that Christ traveled when he came here. And if the captain of our salvation suffered, what do you think we're supposed to do that those that follow Christ, right? We, we're going to endure that same kind of suffering, right? And he suffered more than any one of us will ever have to suffer. And just a quick thought on that. If we're not willing to endure suffering, then my friend, you cannot be a Christian. The author of Hebrews, he wanted this congregation to look back, to remember their earlier trials when they were first converted. I wonder how many of us take the time to look back at all that God has delivered you from, all that he has brought you through up until this point, May 19th, 2019. Again, look at what this congregation had already overcome by God's grace. God's sustaining grace helped them to overcome a hard struggle with sufferings. His grace helped them to overcome public reproach, affliction, the plundering of their property. I want us to notice something in these verses. The writer, he doesn't call this congregation to remember the good old days when their faith in Christ seemed easy. He called them to remember their trials. And the reason why he called them to remember their trials, it is because the hardships, the trials that we endure on this journey as Christians are what we will remember the most. Because it is during those times when God has proved himself to our faith. And we will remember them the most. Brothers and sisters, when we encounter trials of some kind, looking back will help us to remember God's faithfulness. And we know that God's steadfast love, his faithfulness endures forever. That means that God will be with us in our current trials. The same God who sustained them in the past, who sustained us in the past, is the same God who sustained them in the present, who sustains us right now. So number two, we persevere by looking forward. So first we persevere by looking back. Number two, we persevere by looking forward. In 1997, Chicago Bulls, you notice I'm using a lot of sports analogies. I like sports. I do. In 1997, Chicago Bulls, they were playing the Utah Jazz in the NBA Finals. This was game five. It was a pivotal game five. Normally, the team who goes on to win that game five, you know, when the series is tied two to two, they go on to win championship in most cases. So, before the game, right, the big story was, was Michael Jordan's physical condition. So he was suffering from, from flu-like symptoms. 
And one thing that, that is etched in my mind about that game is during that game, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan's teammate, could be seen just carrying Michael Jordan like on and off the court because Jordan was like physically drained because of this sickness. On the court, Jordan could be seen slumped over with his hands on his knees. On the bench, he would be kind of laid back with ice packs on his neck, on his head, drinking fluids, you know, drinking Gatorade, trying to stay hydrated. Now, he, the Bulls, eventually, they would go on to win the game. Jordan, he scored 38 points, seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, one block. And after the game, he said this. Listen to this. He says, I almost played myself into passing out. I came in, and I was almost dehydrated. And it was all just to win a basketball game. I couldn't breathe. My energy level was really low. My mouth was really dry. They started, to, they started giving me Gatorade, and I thought about IV. The Bulls, they went on to defeat the Jazz and win the championship. Jordan was looking forward to being crowned a champion. Nobody wanted to win more than Michael Jordan. That's what makes him the GOAT. And that's not up for debate, okay? We, So, as Christians, when we look forward, we are reminded of our reward, and that allows us to endure much suffering. Right, Jordan spent himself just to win a basketball game. Right, he, he almost killed himself just to win a basketball game. Wouldn't we all agree that we have something a little more important on the line? Our reward is not temporal like a championship. Rather, our reward is eternal. It doesn't perish. Look at verse 35 of our text and 36. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may have received what was promised. Knowing what we will receive gives us hope for the future. It helps empower us to persevere in our present trouble. It helps us to have the right attitude when we suffer. Look at verse 34. It says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These Christians, in the midst of their trials, they had joy. They had the right attitude. They suffered well. Keeping our eyes fixed on eternity, it gives us strength to do God's will. Part of God's will for us is to suffer well and to continue trusting in him despite what trials may come our way. The writer of Hebrews, he understood this truth. And that's why he encouraged his audience to persevere under their current afflictions. You ever wonder why circus performers, when they're high up on like that, that tightrope and they're like walking that tightrope and they're doing all these different insane like stunts you ever wonder why they're able to do that well it's because they're emboldened by the net that's beneath them they know that if they fall that net is there is going to catch them right as christians we have something a little more stronger than a net wouldn't you agree right we have the god of this universe who's able to keep us from stumbling he's able to keep us from falling away He's able to sustain us in the midst of trials. Remember, 
how Peter began his letter to Christians who were suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you are a Christian this morning, that means right now you are a citizen of heaven. I get it. We're living here on earth. This is a broken and fallen world. But right now, if you are currently trusting in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places, even in the midst of trials. Richard Phillips, in his commentary on Hebrews, he says this, Because we are citizens of heaven even now, we are able to grasp things that are not real to our experience, but are promised to those who trust in Christ. We are able to endure various trials as we look forward to our reward. And only those, and I want you to catch this, only those who actually endure and persevere are those who will receive what is promised. This reward doesn't go to those who started out well and then fall away. No, Jesus says that the one who perseveres to the end shall be saved. Number three, we persevere by faith. All right, so we, we persevere by looking back, we persevere by looking forward, and lastly, we persevere by faith. The writer of Hebrews, thus far, he has encouraged his audience to look back to God's faithfulness during their earlier trials, to look forward to their reward in heaven, and now he gives them this final exhortation to live by faith. Look at verses 37 through 38 of Hebrews chapter 10. The writer actually quotes the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when it says, For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If you remember, uh, the book, in the book of Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk is in the Old Testament is one of the minor prophets, not minor because of its significance, but minor because of its size. It's one of the smaller Old Testament prophets. Well, in that story, the prophet Habakkuk, he saw the suffering that was going on, right? And that caused him great pain. There was a lot of injustices going on in Judah at the time, and it looked like the wicked were prospering. The wicked were trampling God's people, God's righteous people. And this led Habakkuk to complain before God, right? He, he, he voiced his, his uh, concerns to God. And this is what he says. He cried out to God. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? Now, his, his complaints were heard and God responded by telling, telling him what is quoted in verse 37 of our text. And that is, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? God simply told him, I, I, I get it. I understand that you're suffering. But my righteous people shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews, he told the congregation the same thing. The righteous shall live by faith. In the midst of their trials, he told them, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm telling you this morning, in the midst of whatever you're going through, the righteous shall live by faith. 
I heard a preacher once say that during times of famine or times of crisis is when the people of God are tempted to look in some other direction to have their needs met other than having faith in Christ. Friends, God is not pleased when we fail to trust him. Look at, verse, look at the second part, verse 38. It says, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. To shrink back is to apostatize, is to fall away from Christ, is to not trust in him. It is to abandon the faith. I don't care how hard the struggle is, shrinking back is not an option. God is not pleased if we look for some other way other than faith in Christ. You remember what, what God the Father told Jesus when Jesus was baptized? So Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And right after he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended upon Christ. And then we hear this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? The father was pleased with the son. And Jesus gave his father good reason to be pleased. He never disobeyed him. Even when Christ suffered all that he suffered, he never disobeyed. He continued to, to trust his father. He continued to be obedient to his father. He didn't use his suffering to justify his sin. Right? And we can do that. We, we can say, well, you know, this trial was just too hard. And then we use that just to plunge into sin. Well, Christ never did that. Again, the Father is pleased with the Son. Right? God has never spoken about anyone like that other than Jesus Christ. Well, God is pleased with us when we have faith in the Son. That's why we see in the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God's people from the Old Testament all the way up to this present day have always lived by faith. Our faith in Christ is the reason why we are considered to be righteous. That's, why, that's how a person is declared right with God. It is by faith. That's what it means to be justified before God. That's how we gain a right standing with God, by putting our faith, our trust in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. We are not righteous because of our deeds, but because of our faith in Christ. If we shrink back in our faith, brothers and sisters, we will be destroyed. Someone might be thinking, well, I, I hear everything that you're saying, but this trial that I'm in is just too hard. I feel my grip slipping. I, I feel myself wavering in my faith. I'm just close to the edge. I feel like I'm about to fall away. Well, let me give you this final word of encouragement. Look at verse 39 of our text. Right after... The author of Hebrews described those who shrink back in their faith. The writer of Hebrews, he gives us this powerful word of encouragement when he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
Now, this writer, the author of Hebrews, was sure that this congregation will continue to endure. I mean, he had confidence. He knew that they would continue to persevere despite what they suffered. Now, how is that? Why is that? Well, it's because a true Christian will always persevere to the end. Right? That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. A true child of God will persevere to the end. We are able to persevere because God is the one who preserves us. He sustains us. The one who began a good work in us will surely finish it until the day of Christ's return. Those who fall away from Christ like Judas, they give evidence that, that they were never truly saved. Right? That's what 1 John, that's what he meant. I mean, that's what John meant in, uh, in his letter in 1 John in chapter 2 when he says that they went out from among us to show that they, they were never really of us. Because if they were of us, they would have stayed. They would have remained in the faith. They would have continued to persevere. Family, I urge you to continue trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Because in a little while, the coming one will come, and he will put an end to all suffering for his people. Until that day, the righteous will live by their faith. Until that day, the call is to believe, to trust God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we pray, God, that those of us that are struggling, that feel themselves falling away, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to endure. Lord, we know that if we have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, then we can move mountains because our faith is in the right object. Lord, continue to keep our faith in Christ. Lord, that we might persevere to the end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.